This message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. It's good to be with you on a wonderful sunny day. The sun is still shining. You have to look beyond the clouds. The sun is always shining. Amen. Now, I was told that things are so changing here that you've become the rowdiest church in the whole of the country. Isn't that nice to know? How things change. If you ever want to find God's people, follow noise. If you follow silence, it leads you to the cemetery. But if you want to know where God is, God is where there is noise, joy, praise, thanksgiving. That's God's people. Now, because you're such good people, I want you to turn to somebody next to you, take them by the right hand and say, it's going to be a good meeting. I know that some of you are already thinking we've already been in the meeting for an hour. And now you're saying it's going to be a good meeting. Well, I want the next half to be a good meeting. Do you understand? Now I want you to turn to that same person, take them by the right hand and say, I forgot to tell you, but it's going to be a good meeting because I'm sitting next to you. God is full of surprises. It's a wonderful thing to come in, in an auditorium with God's people and find surprises. I looked at the musicians this morning and I just thought, thank you God for these wonderful people. I think they need a round of applause for what they've done. We are utterly dependent not only on the musicians, but on the people on the PA system, so that if they don't like what I'm about to say, I'm soon going to be. (laughs) So we have to pray for them as well. (laughs) During the night, I was wondering what I could share with people that seemed to know everything. Because God has given to us everything that enables us to be living a godly life. That's the second book of Peter, chapter 1. He has given to us everything that we need. Let me say this to you. There isn't anything outside of you. If you're a believer, there isn't anything outside of you that can help you to become more like Christ. This morning as I sat, I listened to the fact of being filled. Being filled more and more. And as I sat there, um, my mind was taken in a picture form back to a conversation I was having with my wife. We were doing some spring cleaning last year. 
we still await this year's spring cleaning. <laughs> That's the stuff we didn't get dealt with last year. And uh, my wife said to me, she said, you know, I'd like to do something with that room, that particular room, and I'd like to decorate it out there, and I'd like to move some furniture in this area and move it into that room. And I said, fantastic, because I just like my wife just do what she likes in the house. <laughs> and uh, she said, but there's a problem. I said, well, what's that problem? She said, you were going to have to move some of the stuff that's in that room out from there so that I can fill it with what I want to put in it. Now, I just want to say this to all of us, all of us. The reason why some do not experience a greater dimension of the Holy Spirit who lives in every believer is because they're not prepared to clear out the clutter in areas of their life that he wants to take. When he came into this mansion, there were rooms in this house that he needed to occupy. The major one was this inside here. It's called the brain. He wanted to occupy my thinking. He wanted me to begin to think righteous thoughts, good thoughts. Above all else, he wanted me to think good things about my Heavenly Father. And above all else, he wanted me to begin to think good things about me. He wanted to remove from my mind a slave mentality to begin to think like royalty for he has made us kings and priests therefore he wants us to think like kings and priests isn't that good I thought so I'll buy this tape I wanted, therefore, this morning as I woke up and David and Deborah were so kind to let me stay in their house last evening for a, um, a rest. And I was very pleased that the elders of the church took me out for a sumptuous meal last night in uh, a wonderful place called Mousley. What was the name of the rest? The Staff of Life. What a wonderful Christian place. <laughs> it became a Christian place last night because we were there. Yeah. Can I say this to you? Wherever you are, Christ is there. Yes. Oh, hallelujah, glory to God, 10,000 thanks to Jesus. Just thought I'd say that to encourage you to say that. So we had a sumptuous meal in the staff of life. I retired, went to sleep, and I slept for short periods of time. Then I would wake up thinking, what, Father, can I share with these wonderful people tomorrow morning? And my mind was taken again to a study that I've been doing the scriptures now for over two years with a man called Joseph. Now, I want you to do something, please. If you have a Bible with you, 
a Bible, doesn't matter what version of the Bible, I'd like you to turn in that Bible to the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, and to chapter 37, chapter 37 of the first book of the Bible called Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible, chapter 37, and then I would like you to do this. This is your study for the Bible this morning in this meeting. I would like you to turn the pages over slowly and deliberately as if you've read them until you come to the end of that book. That's all you have to do, and then the teaching session is over. <laughs> turn the pages over until you come to the end of that book. And you come to the end of the book in chapter... How many of you have turned to chapter 50? Hands up if you turn to chapter 50. If you've got 49, you've got one more page. Chapter 50. Now, this is a very simple thing to say, but it's very important. By turning those pages, you have covered 13, should I say, or 17, but 13 chapters of the Bible. It is one quarter of this book devoted to one man. He has more recorded in this book than Abraham, more about more than Adam, more than Jacob, more than Isaac. There is more recorded about this man than any of those men put together in this book. Therefore, he must be an important character. But this young man where we first come across him was 17 years of age when we read the chapter of, uh, in, in Genesis 43, I think, or 39, or 37, or 37. He's a young man of 17. He had 11 brothers. And he had one sister. Very few people mention his sister. But he was born in a very dysfunctional family. Let me say what was happening in his dysfunctional family. Firstly, his sister was raped. And two of his brothers took revenge upon the people that did it. They not only killed the man that did it, they killed the father of the man, and their brothers came to help him, and they killed every man in the village. He had a brother that committed incest with his father's wife. 
He had brothers that never spoke a kind word to him. He grew up in an atmosphere of hatred. And every day they spoke unkind words to him. Would you like to live in a family that every day the only thing said to you by your fellow siblings was things of hatred? But in the Bible, we come across something when he is 17, 17 years have elapsed from the time of birth, and something happens to this boy. The first thing is that his father gives him a coat. Portrayed in some musical in London as the coat of many colors. And his father told him that he had to wear this coat every day. Every day, wherever you are, Joseph, you are to wear this coat because it indicates that you are my favorite. A dysfunctional family. Parents are not here to make favorites of one child over another. But he was an obedient son. Wherever he went, people knew where he was because of the coat. The coat was something external, gave him recognition. But God gave him something else that was to be for him the means for him to become a success in life. One night he went to bed when all his brothers said bad things to him. You're never going to make it. You'll never succeed. You are daddy's favorite. We don't like you. You'll never get away from home. You'll never get away from daddy's oversight of your life. You're a failure. So he went to bed and he had a dream. Anybody here had a dream? I don't mean cheesy ones. <laughs> God-given dreams. These were not going to be interpreted by Freud or Jung. This was a dream that only God could interpret. There are dreams in the Bible that God gives people. The one thing about a dream from God is it's very clear with its message. For a dream is really God's word to your life in picture form. And he went to bed and he had a dream. And in this dream, he saw lots of bundles of wheat gathering together. In fact, he saw them and he looked at them and he thought, hmm, there's a probably about 10 of these or 11 of these. And, uh, and then he saw this one uh, bale of wheat rising up over all the others and it, became, and it was him. And when the next day came and his brothers were telling him bad things, he said, I just got something to tell you. I've just got something to tell you. What's that? I had a dream last night. He didn't address their bad attitude. 
He was just going to tell him them his dream. When people speak ill of you, you do not have to reply with bad attitude and wrong speaking. Whatever you sow, you reap. If you want to sow, if you want to reap blessing, sow blessings. So let's look at his dream. Genesis 37. I like this dream. From verse 5. One night Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain and suddenly my bundle stood up and you were bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Hmm. In other words, Joseph, just be quiet. He went to bed and had another dream. And again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, the 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. You know why his father wondered what the dreams meant? Because his father through his life had been a dreamer. And every dream that he had had from God had been fulfilled. Now every book that I read in commentary about these passages of scripture, they all tell about Joseph was a proud little boy and he should, God had to teach him things. He should never have mentioned his dreams because his brothers hated him the more. No, 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 no. There's nothing in the Bible to say that anything that Joseph did was wrong. There's nothing recorded in the Bible telling anything wrong about this boy. So I had to look upon it in a different way. That's why we love the Holy Spirit. He had a dream. But for the dream to be triggered, activated, started to move for his salvation to be worked out, he had to say it. For he believed in his heart. Romans chapter 10. He believed in his heart. It's from God. But it will only be activated in my, in my life when I confess it. From that moment on, he never mentions his dream again. Talking to a young lady a few days ago, and uh, she was in a class, and I was asking them when they came to know Jesus. And uh, this young man starts off in the circle, and he says, I came to know Jesus, and he gives the date. And uh, the next person, and he gave the date. And uh, 
And this ne next person is a young lady, and she gave the date of the time she came to know Jesus. And then we came back to this young lady, and I said, and what about you? She said, I don't know the date. And everyone is looking at her at this kind of theological school as if they say, you don't know the date? <laughs> I said, well, to the class, this is something to help you. You don't need a birth certificate to prove you're alive. I don't think when you meet Jesus, you're going to say, well, Lord, I remember the day of August the 7th, no so-and-so-and-so-and-so. He's not interested. Wow. The major thing is, are you living? Yes. So suddenly this young man begins to tell his brothers, I want you to know I've got a dream. God gave me this dream. They say, are you going to be the top of the head, head and not the tail? He said, I didn't say that. I'm just telling you my dream. But when you read the story all the way through, it happened. Now let me say this to you. God did not only give this young man a dream for the boy's sake, and every one of us in this room that loves Jesus needs a dream. That is, you need a goal, a purpose in life. You know what you're going for. And you don't settle until it's fulfilled. He had a dream. And he was going to work it out. But God never told him what he's going to have to experience before it's fulfilled. Hands up if you're married. Keep your hands up now while I'm talking. Keep your hands up. You know, the Holy Spirit might convict you. <laughs> Keep your hands up. Those of you now that are married, how many of you could have imagined when you said yes to each other, that you could have imagined the, the journey you would undertake. Don't drop your hand, man. <laughs> the journey you were going to undertake in life until this day. If you thought, I, I didn't know we'd ever, end I, I don't think we'd, I never thought we'd ever embark on this journey. If that was you, you can drop your hand. They're all mainly dropping. Maybe dropping. You didn't know the ups and the downs. You didn't know for the richer or for the poorer, you only heard the richer. <laughs> you didn't hear the sickness and health, you heard health. You did not know the countries that you were going to live in. You did not know the 15 houses you would live in. You did not know the great success in the job and the failures of jobs. You did not know the children that were to be born. You had no idea. You just had a daisy look in each other's eyes. And you thought this Adonis is the best thing since Hovis sliced bread. And then, the first morning after the first day of your honeymoon, you woke up to reality. <laughs> you looked at him and suddenly you thought,
Hyde and Jekylls. He's got fur on his face. <laughs> you looked at her and suddenly realized in the days, of course, when I was got married, I suddenly she's got curlers in her hair. <laughs> you lie back and think, God. <laughs> I've never seen her like this before. <laughs> She felt the same way. I've never seen him like this before. But in the freshness of youth and love, what did that matter? <laughs> but now after 40 odd years and 50 years and you suddenly realize your teeth are in the glass at the side of the bed. <laughs> And without the glasses, you can't even see each other anyway. <laughs> Did you ever believe it could be like this? Is it up to expectation? Is it time to walk out and find some other model? I always am amazed these days when men get married or divorced and get married again that the model they choose is never older than themselves. Yeah. I'm surprised at that. Yeah. But when I think that I've been married 47 years, I've never had a thought of changing the model. Because she's the best, fantastic, most wonderful lady that I've ever encountered in my life and she still is number one in my life and I only dance for the Lord and her. <laughs> of course the wrinkles appear and Clinique cannot fill them. <laughs> we know that. But there's something inside the deep love for your heart, not only for her, but in my heart for my wife, but for together we have a purpose and plan yes, and a dream that is yet to be fulfilled. Yes. And no matter what we've faced, whether it's been the challenges of sicknesses with our children that God healed them from, where it's been houses where basically we've had to leave in the call of God, whether we've been in situations where we've seemingly had no money or food and in other circumstances where we've had so much food, food and so much money, we don't really know what to do with it. We've been in both, but to stay in a place of God, it does not matter. The one thing that matters is to know we love you. This is what this young man said. I have a dream. I have a dream. And I'm going to achieve that dream. When you become a Christian, you become a Christian for believing in your heart. Some of you may be here this morning. To me, you're but visitors in this place. You're not a Christian. Last week, one of our Bible students introduced me to his friend who'd come down from Manchester. He said, I'd like you to meet my friend. So I met his friend. 
he was from England, and I once again was looking up. <laughs> As a Welshman, we always look up to the English people. <laughs> so I was looking at him, and I said, uh, your friend here is, is a Christian, and he said, I'm not a Christian. I said, that's wonderful to know. His friend who had been to our Bible school looked at me and said, he's just said he's not a Christian. I said, that's right, it's wonderful to know. His friend was amazed at what I said. He said, is it a wonderful thing to know? I said, absolutely. I said, it would be an awful thing for me to be told by you that you are a Christian when you know you're not. But before you can become a Christian, you have to know that you're not. <laughs> so the first step to become a Christian is first to know that you're not. So the theological student, he'd not learned that in our college. We have some work to do. Now, that was this young man. It's the same thing with the elderly Christian lady that came to me just a few months ago, and she said this, um, I, I, have, I, I, I heard you speaking, and I, I, I have a disagreement with what you said. I said, only one. <laughs> she said, well, yes, you said that God hears prayers, she said, of people who are not Christians. I said, yes, that's right. Well, she said, I disagree. Well, I said, you're right to disagree, but could I ask you a question? She said, yes. said, can you remember when you came to know Jesus? Oh, yes, she said. When Jesus saved me and cleansed me from my sin. I said, that's right. Can, do you remember? Oh, I remember it as if it was yesterday. Oh, I said, that's fantastic. What did you do? Well, she said, I prayed. And I asked the Lord to forgive. I said, were you a Christian when you prayed? Well, no, I was praying that I should become one. I said, then God heard you a prayer when you weren't a Christian. Well, she said, I've never thought of that. God hears prayers of all kinds of people, but every one of you in this room this morning, like myself, we first prayed to come to know Jesus when we were not Christians. But you believed with your heart and you confessed with your mouth. Now, the young man that led me to Christ, he would have been 19 and I was only just 11. He said, Kerry, now that you've believed in your heart, you have to leave this building and the first person you meet on the streets on the way home, you have to tell them you become a Christian. I said, okay. I knew that I was a Christian. I used to get excited then. I get excited now. So I got out of the building, walked down the first street, and never saw anyone. I turned left, walked up the next street, and never saw anyone. I took the next street, and never saw anyone. I took a left, and never saw anyone. I thought, there's nobody around. I had the feeling that I was the only one in the world. And then I got to my home and walked in. 
And the first person I saw was my father. Oh, oh. Now let me explain this. Here's a context for you. My father was a coal miner with very, very left leanings politically, so far left they called him a communist, which he was. I had to tell my dad I'd become a Christian. He was reading the news of the world with a cigarette in his right hand. I can see him now. And I said, Dad, I've got something important to tell you. And I see this paper just coming down, like so. Just like. Yes, son? I said, Dad, I've become a Christian. I've asked Jesus into my life. And I've been saved and I'm going to heaven. I'm no longer going to hell. And Dad, if you don't accept Jesus, you are going to go to hell. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I went further than my confession. It won't last. <laughs> 60 years later, now that he's with Jesus because he also came to Christ before he went from this world, I look at it and think, I had to tell my dad. This boy had to tell his dad. Why? Because the greatest opposition you will ever face when you first come to Christ is from your family. I speak to this block of older people. It's all right, I know you look and say, older people. I, say, I haven't got my glasses on. <laughs> to this older section. How many of you were at school? How many of you were at school? If you... Is that a hard question? You're at school, right? Anybody here at university or college? Thanks. Let me make it very clear to you. Wherever you are, whatever form you go into, right at the beginning, from the beginning. You state your claim to let people know, I'm a Christian. Don't leave it to the second day, third day, fourth day, whatever. Just simply, I'm a Christian. And from that moment on, they, all eyes are going to be on you. But at what exciting time. Everybody's looking at you for the first time in life. <laughs> you make a stand. And suddenly it says, his brothers hated him even more. Why? It's not the coat, it's the dream. See this? Do you believe that? There's a lot of people that won't like you for that. Who do you think you are? Gospel explosion? Go like there's no tomorrow? I, I like that. Go like there's no tomorrow? Accept Christ as if there's no tomorrow. Take him to be your Lord and Savior as if there's no tomorrow because there may not be a tomorrow. You change your life. I told you this story many years ago. 
well, shall I say three or four years ago now, I think I've mentioned this story here one time before. A man walked forward in a meeting that I was taking in down in Wales and he came forward with tears in his eyes. He said, I want to accept Christ. He's the president of a golf club. And I was able to lead him to Christ. He baptized him in water, prayed for him, he received the Holy Spirit, was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He went away on a holiday and a few months later, there was a plane flying out of Brazil with his grandson on it. Grandson was coming back to Britain after studying in Brazil. And the plane went down. His grandson perished with all other members on board. When I heard the news a few days later, I saw this, this man. His name was Bill. I said, Bill, I heard about your grandson. He looked at me and said, Kerry, if I hadn't come to know Jesus, you would not be seeing me today. Jesus has made all the difference. Go like there's no tomorrow. You can plan your days and you can plan your future. You may not get there. But you can plan and make sure of your destiny right here in this room today because it's the only moment we've got. And for those of you that have had promises from God, I've asked this before here. How many of you have got a promise and received a promise from God that as yet has not been fulfilled to you personally? You have a personal promise that as yet has not been fulfilled for you. Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed if you've had such a thing given you. Keep your hand up. As I'm speaking, I want you to hear this. If you have received a word of promise from God that as yet has not been fulfilled in your life, you are immortal until it is fulfilled. Because God never fails in the promises he makes. His promise is not dependent on your faithfulness. His promise is dependent upon his integrity. That does not mean that we are not to be faithful, but he is faithful. Never, ever, 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 ever give up when you're on the journey, when you're living with a dream. I received this from God and I had this obstacle, brother. Don't worry about the obstacle. What God said to you, just keep walking. You'll get there. There are many countries that God spoke to me when I was 20 years of age, standing on a beach in the Gower Peninsula, and I began to prophesy over the sea. And the Holy Spirit began to speak to me about countries that I would visit. A young boy from a Welsh Valley town, from a mining family, 
And God began to speak to me about going to countries of the world that were only kind of, in some sense, a figment of my imagination. There are two countries as yet not being fulfilled. There are another 40 that have already gone through. Why? Because God said I would go. You have to believe what he says. You hear what I'm saying? Yes. And here is this boy right at the end of his life, and I want to say this now to you also that have received a word from God, those of you that are in ministry in this church, those of you that are in ministry sitting down at this moment of time. God does not only give you a dream for you and this building and this town God has a purpose for his world. If you are a prophetic ministry, is not only for you and for these people, it's for a world. God gave a young man a dream. And this is what happened to him. He became the second to Pharaoh. His strategy and enablement and ability of understanding the dreams that Pharaoh had gave Pharaoh the strategy and the method to store up sufficient wheat that it saved the then known world. If you have been saved, you have been called by God into the fellowship of his son. If you have known his hand upon your life to things for better things. If you have known that there's still further things to go for. It's because God wants your life to affect your world. Not merely the seat that you sit on. And no matter how much you think, and no matter how much you ask for, you have to know that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think of, according to the power that is at work in you. How big is your dream? He's able to go exceedingly abundantly beyond that. If you ever go and ask him there for some things, ask God for big things. I will close on this. It's a story of my, my brother who's alive, but he's alive in heaven. When I was a young Christian, he took me to a bookshop because he wanted to buy me a book. I thought, I wonder what book he's going to buy me. My first book with my brother Bryn. So he went to the shop, and there was a lady there, a Welsh lady called Mrs. Davis, and she said, oh, Bryn, oh, Bryn, it's good to see you, she said. I'm so glad you called. I want to buy you a book. Oh, he said, I brought my brother here for a book. And she looked at me and said, do you love Jesus? I said, yes. She said, then you can have a book as well. I said, thank you. So there's this big shop, all these books are around. 
never had a book, a Christian book. So I went to a section and I saw these big volumes. I thought, I won't have them because I don't understand the words. Then I went to the paperbacks. So I was looking there and suddenly Bryn came and he had in his hands a Thompson chain leather, original leather Bible, Moroccan leather. I said, Bryn, you can't ask for that. It's that old lady behind the counter. He said, Mrs. Davis said I could have any book. I said, yes, but it's so expensive. I said, that's more than dad brings home in his salary for the week. Mrs. Davis said I could have any book. So I went to a little shelf with a skinny little paperback. I thought, she could only afford this, so I took this. I thought, right, so I went to my brother just to let him know there are people with integrity in this world. <laughs> so I went with this seemingly paperback to the counter, and he with his Thompson chain, leather, Moroccan Bible, and she said, Bryn, you've made a good choice. This is the best Bible in the bookshop. It will last you as long as you live. Oh. Then she picked up mine. She said, is this what you really want? Yes. It wasn't really. I wanted a Bible like my brother. But I told a lie. So Bryn walked out with this big Bible. Oh, he was so proud of his Thompson chain Bible. That just the smell of the leather. It was oh, something else. I said, Bryn, you shouldn't have done that to Mrs. Davis. She looks so poor. Do not go by what you see. I discovered later that Mrs. Mrs. Davis even then was probably a millionaires, but I wasn't to know. I tell you that story for this reason. My brother knew who the lady, and when the lady said, Bryn, take any book you like, he took her at his word, at her word. If God promises you something that's beyond what you can ever contemplate, you have to take him at his word. He's not impoverished. He is not unsuccessful. He's a God of great success and he owns all the real estate that you have. Now, if you're in this building and you own lots of houses, let me say this to you. They're all leasehold. Because he owns it all. Hallelujah. I just want to encourage you as a church, have a dream. Let that dream have its origins in God. Understand that dream, what it means. That is, if God has given you a dream, make sure you've got God's interpretation. And then give your life to serve his purpose in seeing his dream and will fulfill for your life and for this church.
dream for bigger buildings. Dream for being more successful in business. God does not want your business to fold. God gives you things not only for you to look after, to maintain, but he wants them to grow. Grow like never before. Young men and women, reach your friends for Jesus. Can I say this to you? Reach your friends for Jesus. Why? If they don't know Jesus, they are lost. Older people who have retired, you have not retired. If you love Jesus, you have to reach people for Jesus. Without knowing Jesus, they are lost. I'm not doing a kind of PC job on you this morning. I'm telling you what the Bible says. Anyone who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are lost. He wants them to be saved. Hallelujah. Would you stand now, please? Want you to, I'd like you to hold out your hands like this. I'd like you to hold out your hands. Can you do that? Not, not like this, but like, like this. Hold out your hands like this. Hold out your hands like this. I've asked you to hold out your hands like this because I want the Lord to see that what you want him to give you that you believe you've not as yet received, you still have a heart to say, I'm seeking, looking for, and knocking at that door and will continue to do so until your word is fulfilled in my life. Father, Heavenly Father, we come to you in the wonderful name of Jesus. We ask you today that you would give to us today sufficient food materially and spiritually that we will have the strength to do what you want us to do and have the means within ourselves to meet every need that comes our way. Let these hands be the hands to bring healing to bodies that are sick. Let them be the hands to comfort those that need comforting. Let them be the hands to embrace the lonely, that they will never be lonely again. Let these hands work as they've never worked, so that you can produce for us wealth, that we're able not only to look after our own need, but have sufficient to meet the needs of our world. Heavenly Father, as you look what is written in this building for a gospel of explosion to go like there's no tomorrow, to give like you won't run out and to gather like you make a difference and grow like 
never before. Let those not only be words that are written on paper, but written on the spirit of our heart. That we will say that our world will not be overcome by Islam. It will not be overcome by Hinduism. It will not be overcome by any foreign God because this world belongs to the Lord God and it's your world and therefore we claim it this morning in Jesus' name to simply say we are here to reach your world to bring the gospel to bear upon mankind. Bless us today. Whoever we meet, let our words be words of life to them. Whoever we touch, let them feel an anointed touch. Bless our homes. Bless every young child who left this auditorium. Let them know health constant health let them grow healthily help them at school let them enjoy play that in everything they do that they will be children of contentedness and know that they're in a context of love for marriages that are strained heavenly father I want to thank you that you want to bring those people together like they've never been together. Do it today. Do it today. Where people may be standing here, Father, who have never given you their life, let them do it today. Let them do it now. In Jesus' name we thank you for answering what we've prayed. Yes. Amen. 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 Now turn to somebody, take them by the right hand and say, it really was good sitting next to you. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk.